And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Bethany Schmidt. Bethany is a Nashville recording artist and songwriter with nearly 14 years of secular performing experience and 27 years total in music. She had a near-death experience after being in acute respiratory distress, and today we're going to learn about it. Bethany, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. My pleasure. All right, if you don't mind, let's start on the day it happened and go from there. Okay, so... I'll back up just a couple days. Um, mm-hmm. My son and I, my son, I was getting ready for his first birthday. And um, we had both had the flu the week before. And he he got over it um, fairly quickly. Um, and I was just still not feeling good. And so, but I'm doing the mom thing and I'm pushing through because I have to plan a first birthday party. So that was on a Saturday. And then Sunday night, we had to go uh, play at a church event in another city. So we did that. And while I was there, I, when we got done, I took my temperature because I brought my medicine and my thermometer because I was just not feeling good. And my temperature was 105. And I was just like, I have to get home. So got home, got into bed. And the next morning when I woke up, I was incredibly dizzy, weak. Um, I got my son up. Again, he's only a year old. And I kind of try to get him his breakfast and lay down on the couch. And then next thing I remember, I woke up. I realized I had passed out. And so I called my husband. He came home, took me to the ER, and we lived in a very, very, very small town with a tiny little hospital. So we went to that hospital and they did an x-ray. My blood pressure was like 69 over 31. Hmm. And my oxygen level was really low. So they immediately thought I had pneumonia, you know, and they did an x-ray and he was, he just came in. He said, you need to be in ICU. We can't treat you here. So they called an ambulance and took me to another nearby hospital, which was kind of a mid-level hospital. It wasn't um, not very big, but definitely more prepared than than the tiny little um, hospital I was at. And so I got taken there by ambulance. And when I got there, they immediately um, put me in ICU, started breathing treatments, um, That I don't remember. Uh, I'm going to tell you basically what what I was told happened because that's all I remember. The last thing I remember is getting to the second hospital. And so I was given breathing treatments. And over the next two days, I began to decline. And over these two days, I had been working at a pediatric office and one of my the doctors I worked for was the pediatrician on call at that hospital. And she was telling my family, you need to get her to a different hospital because otherwise she's going to die here. She needs a higher level of care. So 
on the morning of the third day that I was in that hospital, my husband had planned on going in and asking them to transfer me. But when he arrived, he was told by the um, pulmonologist in the ICU that I had coded and that I had been put on life support and there was already a helicopter on the way to pick me up to take me to a different hospital in a bigger city, which was Asheville, North Carolina, um, Mission Memorial there. Um, and so when they did that, evidently they said that I was a difficult intubation when they, when I'd stopped breathing, when everything had started to shut down, they said there was question as to whether there was a ventilator in the ICU. They just weren't prepared. So I was gone for about 10 minutes there. They finally got me back, you know, um, intubated me, was breathing for me. I got put on the ambulance or on the helicopter. And again, I had coded multiple times on the way to the hospital in Asheville. And when I arrived there, they put me in the neurotrauma ICU because I had been without oxygen for so long. They were, they were sure I would have neurological damage. So I spent uh, 11 days, 12 days in the neurotrauma ICU there. And they basically just tried to keep me alive long enough for me to fight off whatever was whatever I had it it acted like pneumonia they said it acted like a um, staph infection but they even had infectious disease specialists come in the CDC they just still to this day don't know what I had but it was causing abscesses all in my lungs um, and they, I still don't have an answer as to, to what it was. Um, so eventually, you know, they called my family in. Uh, my brother-in-law came in from Montana. My family came up from Florida because they kind of thought that was it, you know. And so I gradually did get better, though. And it, it took a while. They would try to wean me off and it wouldn't work and they'd have to put me back on back in the coma. So this went, you know, one step forward, two back for, for about two weeks, excuse me. And then finally I, they were able to wean me off of it. And I spent another month in the hospital because I did have neurological damage I couldn't talk. Um, I still had, I was having hallucinations. I couldn't remember why I was there. Couldn't remember what year it was. They, um, I had a lot of damage in my throat and that was probably from the intubation, the feeding tube. I had an NG tube also, um, just all that. And, um, Yes. So I spent another month in the hospital and then an additional two weeks um, 
but that's that's everything I was told. But from my experience, what happened was the last thing I remember was the ICU doors opening of the second hospital. And I remember parts of them giving me a first breathing treatment. And then that's it. I don't remember anything else until I woke up in uh, about two and a half weeks later in the hospital in Asheville. So the last thing I remember, I clo- I'm having trouble breathing, so I just close my eyes. And then when I open my eyes again, I look down, and it looks like I'm standing on nothing. Um, and I realized where I was. I, I just kind of had a knowing that I was not in my body anymore and that I was somewhere else. And being a believer, I believed I was in heaven. And I can remember being afraid to take a step because what I looked, when I looked down, it looked like I was standing on nothing. But just as I had that thought, a light hit it and I could see it was just this almost like an iridescent gold coating over it. And I realized, okay, I can walk. So I took a step and then I looked up and I just saw people walking by. Um, I saw a city in front of me. Um, it's, It's interesting because I think As a Christian, I had a preconceived notion about what heaven would look like, and it looked nothing like I thought it would. (laughs) It, um, it's, it's very, very hard to explain. Um, there's, there's all these sounds and the way I describe it is that it's, I knew it was like choirs of angels but they're all singing a different song, but it's somehow all coming together to form one song. It's the strangest thing, (laughs) but it was beautiful. Um, I, I had an awareness that of what had happened. I had an awareness that I still had family at home and that I had a son and two daughters and a husband. And, but my thought process in the moment was, it was just peace. And I didn't have any, I don't know what the word is. There was no longing. There was no uh, desire to be with them. Because in my mind, I knew there was no time so they would be there with me soon. That that's how I, that's how it felt to me. It was like, oh, they'll be here soon. So mm-hmm. why would I miss them? Like you know, it, it just no care, no worry, no no nothing. It was it was just, it was interesting. Um, so I'm just wanted to check things out, and I see people walking by, and 
I didn't know where I was going. And I, I can remember looking at a woman and she actually kind of looked like my aunt, but my aunt hadn't passed away or anything. She just, she just reminded me of her. And I went to speak, but before I went to speak, I heard her in my head say this way, but she didn't speak. So there was no talking. It was just knowing between people. And so I started to walk that way. And I mean, I was just looking around. I mean, I guess I was taking it all in and the colors were more colorful and the, it's the air itself had a, I don't know how to explain it. The air itself almost had a color. If you've ever seen, you know, when sun shines through a window and you get little bits that kind of sparkle, you know, bits of dust that sparkle, the air looked like that, all of it. Um, and so I started to follow her and I heard water running. And then I remembered the scripture that said there is a river flowing from the throne room of God or the throne of God. And I was like, aha, you know, like things just started clicking and I remember things that I had, that I had read from the Bible or that I had learned when I was younger and they weren't necessarily outright things I saw necessarily, but, but even the ground I was standing on, I can remember the Bible says streets of gold. Well, I expected gold, but it wasn't gold. Like I expected it, it looked different. It felt different. Um, so it was just kind of overwhelming. And I remember I kept walking and as I did, it felt like I, the way I describe it is like that I had a rope around my waist and that someone yanked a cord and everything it disappeared from my view and everything went black. And things were black for a while. It just, I just kind of sat in dark and silence. And then my eyes began to focus and I look around and it's really dim. And I'm in this dark place that reminded me of like a burnt out cathedral and there was a I was standing on a staircase and if I'm looking forward it was it was kind of off to my left and the staircase went into the cathedral and kept going down and so I sat down on the steps because it was so different from where I just came from. And I was just suddenly overcome with this feeling of separation from anything good. There was no light. There was just a sense of anxiety and dread and it was terrifying, really. So I sat and I 
I was too scared to even move. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't understand where I'm at. I'm just confused. And I start to hear a voice behind me and I didn't see who was talking to me. Um, but it started um, accusing me and saying, this is where you belong. And then it started reminding me of, you know, everything bad I had ever done. And I've had a, I've lived a lot in 45 years. Um, I just had my 45th birthday and I was a single, I was a teenage mother. I've been divorced. I've been in abusive relationship. I mean, I've lived a lot in those 45 years and, um, I used to abuse alcohol, drugs, like, so I came out of that, but he was, he started from the beginning or whatever, and just started listing off all these things I had done and telling me this is where I belonged. I didn't deserve any of that where I was before. And it went on and on and on. And finally I got up and I just ran down the stairs. Well, as I walked down the stairs, it spiraled down and I decided to follow it um, because I was mainly just trying to get away from this, whatever it was that was talking to me. So I started going down the staircase and as I get down the staircase, I'm in a like an underground hall and it looks like kind of like the the pictures I've seen of like the caves in Paris, the underground tunnels, things like that. But I noticed there were cells carved into the wall, the actual earth. And inside these cells were these, I I don't know how to explain it. They had human features, but also animal features, beast features. They were like these just monsters. I mean, it sounds childlike, but it's really the only way I know how to describe it. I've never seen anything like it in, in a movie or anything, but they also didn't talk, but they began to, I began to see and hear visions of what they wanted to do to me. And it was the most terrifying pictures. There's no horror movie there. There's nothing that can describe what they were conveying to me. And for for a few minutes or however long it was, I don't know, I was just frozen in fear. Finally, I ran out and sat back on this staircase and I was just sobbing. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where I was. I didn't understand what was happening. And the voice came back and started it all over again. And I just, I got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And I, I just, 
I don't remember. I mean, I started having memories of my grandmother was a very spiritual. um, She was kind of like the spiritual leader of our family. And she was the one who used to take me to church and believed in me and prayed for me when I was, you know, just acting a fool when I was younger. And I just remembered a song she used to sing and um, a song we sang in church. And I just, I don't know why I didn't think of it before then, but I just, it said, call on the name of Jesus. So I just cried out the name Jesus. And just like that, I heard a voice say, I'm here. And I, it, and just like I was pulled by a rope this time, it felt like I was just lifted up underneath my arms and pulled out of there. And I woke up and I was in the hospital. And at that point, I wasn't, I guess, able to breathe on my own or whatever. So they put me back under. And when they did that, that whole scene um, started over again. And every time I would become conscious and they would put me back under, that would happen again. And after the first few times, I realized that, you know, and from my beliefs, I believe it was a demon, Satan, trying to get me to just give up my will to live. Um, My mom was a nurse for 30 years, and I can remember her telling me, and she worked with elderly uh, with terminally ill patients. And she said, the will to live is everything. Um, if they give up, it's only a matter of time. And I knew, I knew what it was trying to do was get me to just give up my will to live. Because at that point I felt like it was the only thing keeping me alive or hanging on at least my body. So this would happen again and again and again, And finally, the last time I woke up was when I was completely off the ventilator and all the medication had worn off the medication to keep me in a coma. And so that was the end of, um, of that part, but I still, again, I wasn't. I couldn't eat. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't talk. Couldn't walk. And they were running every test, doing MRIs, uh, swallow studies. I was seeing neurologists, and you know, I'd have a specialist come in, and they they just thought it 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 had to be brain damage um, from the lack of oxygen. So. They told my husband that I was probably going to need to be transferred after I was stable enough to a rehab facility um, for three to six months. And so I, they started having, while they're getting my help back, uh, my oxygen level was still low. So they're trying to get me well enough where I can move to a rehab facility. I'm still seeing physical therapists. Um, a speech therapist uh, there. I, I wasn't able to stand yet, but they're coming in, trying to get me to sit up, get in the chair, all these different things. 
And my husband at this point, they moved me out of ICU and down to a step-down unit. And he was finally able to stay with me because he had been, uh, as you know, you can't stay with the patient in ICU. Um, So he would sleep in our van in the parking lot um, and come in and sit with me in the ICU until um, he had to leave again. But now he was able to be in the room with me. And he said, I was just, I mentally, I was gone. There was, I mean, I knew who he was, but they, the voice had told me that I had been in a car accident and that my son was dead and that I was paralyzed and that he had left me. So a lot of times people have ICU dementia, which is basically when you're in a coma, your brain doesn't, isn't, doesn't get any exercise. You begin to hallucinate. Um, so that was happening. It was just, it was a mess. And every night he would, um, I was pulling tubes out. I, they had a, um, this vest that strapped me down to the bed because I would try to get up and I couldn't walk. So I was a fall riz and yeah, they, they were just praying that, you know, I would gradually get better. And then one night we were probably about three weeks in to the therapy and trying to get me back to a baseline. And my husband had been reading the Bible to me. Um, because I couldn't read or write. Um, he'd been reading the Bible to me and he said, he looked at me and I looked different. And he said, and his question to me to know where I was at mentally would always be, do you know why you're here like in the hospital? And my normal answer would be, yeah, I was in a car accident. I wasn't. So he said, he looked at me and I looked different. and he said, babe, do you know why you're here? And I said, yeah, I got the flu and got pneumonia. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I got the flu. I got pneumonia. I got septic. And, you know, and like he started freaking out a little bit, you know, and he called the nurse and everything. Well, what I didn't know was at that time, a friend, it, they were having a church service and a friend of mine had gone into church and before they even started service, she went up to the front and she's like, I want to stand in for Bethany. She's like, and I want to pray for her healing. And so my entire church gathered around her and laid hands on her and they prayed for me. And in that moment, my brain was healed. And from that moment until I walked out the door on my own was three days later, whereas, you know, 72 hours before I couldn't even stand, I couldn't speak, I couldn't write, I couldn't do anything. So that's what happened. (laughs) Well, that was an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that with us. No problem. When you kept being put back into 
that unconscious state mm-hmm. and you have to relive that stairwell incident over and over again. Did you keep calling out to Jesus again and he would pull you out or you would just, when you became conscious, you would just, you were out of it? Um, no, that the last time that I called out for Jesus was the last time it happened. Um, so it never happened again after that. This was all leading up to that moment where I was being worn down every time I would go, I would just, it was just wearing on me until I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And that's when I called out to him and it never happened again after that. Do you feel like those experiences are just as real as life here right now? A hundred percent. Um, I actually suffered some pretty serious PTSD from the things I saw. I mean, it was that it was real enough that it affected me physically. Um, I had, I, as you can imagine, I had trouble sleeping Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to go under, you know, I, that, that fear of going under and seeing that again was so much. And I, I suffer, I still suffer with insomnia. Um, that PTSD is not as bad now, but you know, I, I still do. Um, but yeah, I would have, you know, panic attacks if I thought about it. Hmm. So it was very, very real. You appear to have recovered well from it. I have, um, I have short-term memory loss, (laughs) which is fun for my husband. (laughs) Um, but other than that, I do, I do still have a little bit of damage in my throat fortunately they said i would never sing again and that didn't happen so it did not affect my singing um it affected i guess the muscles here so sometimes when i get tired i'll slur my speech a little bit um but other than that i do have a more trouble swallowing than i did before um i have to be careful and just make sure i chew well have a drink you know um But other than that, and the short-term memory loss, um, I do feel like, um, like I said, I still suffer with the insomnia. I think maybe my my internal clock got broken. (laughs) Um, I don't really get sleepy. Or again, it could just be the anxiety about sleep. Um, So, uh, uh, but other than that, it's it's relatively normal. Um, I did develop um, some, the infection caused me to have some autoimmune issues. Um, so I do have RA, but I control it with um, how I eat and things like that. So, but I mean, as opposed to um, what could have happened, I'm definitely, I'm definitely way better. <laughs> and it did take a while. I didn't get back, you know, to a hundred right away. It took, a, it took a few years, but the mental part was, was what, uh, we were most worried about. When you say RA, do you mean rheumatoid arthritis? Yes. Yes. And that's an autoimmune disorder. Um, and, uh, fibromyalgia, which comes along with that same thing. Um, mm. The infection, anytime you have an, an infection or a trauma, it can trigger an autoimmune disorder. So, yeah, but but I'm doing pretty well. How do you think you've changed 
now spiritually and personality-wise from this experience? I think God definitely became more real to me. I think as Christians, uh, we can tend to have this idea that God is um, somehow so far away and that, you know, I am one person and who, you know, who am I? But I believe that the God I serve is big enough that he can, he is interested in every single one of his children. I think they're all important to him. Just like I have three kids. There's not one that's, you know, less important. Um, so I, I see God. Um, I think I have a better idea of his, of his identity as father um, rather than just some deity, uh, just as creator, you know, it, it's a much more personal thing now. And, um, I also think that one thing I, I found interesting was that I did not, I, this is hard to put people see my husband saw me suffering until I expired, but I didn't feel any of that. Um, it's almost like I was taken out of consciousness um, until, you know, so that I was spared some of that suffering. So it also gave put the question into my mind is, um, you know, is that what also happens to other people who die? You know, that maybe we sometimes we see these tragic things and these horrific things. And maybe that's not, maybe that's how it appears, but maybe that's not really what's going on spiritually. Um, so that, that gave me some more questions. Um, and I think I'm also just more, much more, the veil between here and there is a lot thinner. Um, I think we don't realize um, how close it is. And not close as in death close, but as in the spiritual world. Um, so, yeah, I think those are a few things that that occurred to me. When you were there and you saw the woman that you communicated with telepathically, mm -hmm. when you looked at her, did she look like people or did she look like a ghost version or an energy version of people? No, everyone looked human. I mean, just, I mean, it was honestly like any other community, I guess, like a, any other city, except um, like I didn't see buildings. Uh, there was a wall, but it, um, it was also iridescent. And so it didn't look like a, I don't know how to explain it. It, um, it looked like an entrance, basically, like a walled entrance. Um, like, um, like I've seen pictures of, um, like, um, Egypt, things like that. And it just looked like a, a natural wall, um, with just community people, uh, just passing by, walking by, going 
to and from and they no one looked old I do remember that um everyone kind of looked the same age but um yeah no they they looked just like people did you happen to glance down at your own body and see that you could still see your hands and feet well I did when I when I first opened my eyes I saw my feet Mm. so and I I looked the same Mm. so (laughs) before you went to the stairwell area did you happen to have the thought well okay this is heaven's pretty cool I wonder what hell is like I didn't no Mm. I didn't I was so content where I was and um I can remember being mad uh, when I got pulled away. I was like, no, 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 no. I want to go back there. (laughs) Um, I was angry. And um, no, I didn't. I would have, like I said, I had fleeting thoughts of, you know, my family, you know, I'm in heaven. My family's, you know, not dead. Um, But there was no um, desire to be anywhere but there. Yeah, I found that fascinating that you said that, well, they'll be here pretty soon. So Yeah. It it was just like of no time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's very interesting. That's also comforting too. Like mm-hmm. if you've lost somebody, you know, that if if you think that's where they are, then then they're okay. You know, you'll be there for them soon, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But do you think that this changed you at all professionally as a singer? Oh, physically or spiritually? Spiritually. Like when you sing, do you think about it or? Like I said, I feel like the veil's a lot thinner. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, and people say that when they hear from God, you know, it's not an usually, I mean, some people, I guess, have encounters with God where they audibly hear God, but, uh, you know, I don't audibly hear God, but I realize the way we communicate with him here is no different than the way we communicate with people there. It's all that, that, um, knowing and hearing doesn't have to be audible. You hear it in your spirit, you hear it in your mind, you know? Um, so I definitely think the, the chasm between how I worshiped before has gotten thinner because I feel like he's closer. I feel like I hear him better. I feel Mm -hmm. like. I feel his heart for his people better. Have you noticed that you have any abilities that you didn't have before? Like now you're more empathetic or you can kind of see the future or anything else, especially due to the veil being thinner. Yeah, I do feel like I am much more empathetic. I feel like I can feel um, his heart for people when I talk to them. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, and in my beliefs, uh, we're all given, we're all given the ability to, um, to see and hear and, um, hear from God and, and know certain things. There's a gift of knowledge. There's a gift of prophecy. And I, I do feel like those gifts that he's placed in myself are definitely, easily more easily accessed if that makes sense i definitely feel like those gifts are stronger for sure 
do you feel like you have any negative after effects from this besides the physical pain and, you know, the some of the PTSD stuff? No, I I mean, if I had to go through it again, I would. Um, it was hard on my family. I had two teenage daughters at the time. It was very hard on them. Um, and you know, they, they've had to deal with that, the truck, you know, that caused them trauma as well, seeing their mother like that. And, um, for a while, my son had a lot of separation anxiety because he basically lived with our friends for two months Mm -hmm. at a year old. Um, but So I would hate to have to do it again Mm -hmm. only because of them. But if I had to, I would. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like only good came out of it. That's great. And I feel like hopefully there's something in what happened to me that can help somebody else. And I've heard different things. So whether it's hearing that I didn't suffer or hearing that there's something else after Mm -hmm. this no matter what it is that 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 it would help somebody do you feel like heaven is here it's just like a dimensional change like as if you're changing the station on a radio absolutely i absolutely do i i feel like it's so thin um and you know the the bible talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spirits and these things going on around us i think are um closer Coaster is the only way I know how to to say it. Um, it's going on as we're living our lives, so it's. Um, I do believe it. You know, I don't understand the physics of it or any of that, but but I do feel like it's just it's a it's a blink of an eye away. I think one of the things that you may be saying, and which is good to know, is that maybe your loved ones who have passed, they didn't really suffer in their transition. They just kind of moved from one transition to another. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely how it was for me, even though, like I said, my husband witnessed it. He saw me suffering. He said, you know, I'm gasping for every breath and have, you know, just days of that. So, um, I definitely feel like it, it may be there, there for me, it was definitely different. It was a completely different, uh, spiritually what was happening was completely different than, than what it looked like. Um, I, I did, I never felt a moment of pain or, or struggle at all. Yeah. I think that's true for a lot of experiencers and even most of my guests that had something traumatic like being hit by a car or a right. bus or something like that, they seem to describe being out of their body even before the impact happened. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the way it felt and must have been because that was on the first day and I technically, you know, didn't die until three days later on the third day. So mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know, you know what happened, but I know I didn't suffer. Do you feel like the woman who you communicated with was like possibly a guardian angel or someone that you knew on the other side? Or do you, 
have any idea I've, about that? I've thought about it because she did look like my aunt. And I thought maybe because every, like I said, everyone looked the same age. So maybe it was a relative that I just never met hmm. um, because she did look like my family, you know, my aunt. Um, so I, I, I have, I have my guesses that that might be what it is, um, that it was a relative. Um, I also knew who was there. So my husband's grandfather hmm. and I, all I can describe it is, is, is just like I said, it's a knowing that it's just like you have knowledge no one said anything. No one did anything. You just know. So I knew, you know, my grandmother was there. I knew my husband's grandfather was there. Um, and I just, I didn't see them, but I, I knew, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I just kind of had a knowing of that there were people there that I loved and people there that my husband loved. Do you think it's possible that, your heaven experience was the NDE and then you getting pulled into the stairwell incident was like you got pulled out of heaven and kind of pulled out of your NDE and that whole incident repeating over and over were more hallucinations due to the intubation and the medication. Right. I definitely think that's what happened because from if I if I line my experiences up with what happened, that's definitely what happened. It was when I was um, in a coma under a chemical sedation. That's when that was happening. So I was very much a lot, you know, alive. I was being artificially kept alive. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at that point, you know, I don't understand all the mysteries of God. I don't know how vulnerable we are in those places where we're not really here, but we're not really there either, you know? Um, but I do think it was definitely when I was, was in the coma that those things kept happening. Um, because again, I kept waking up and then it would happen again. And so I knew where I was and I had even at one point begged, I, I tried to convey to my parents and my husband, don't let them put me back under. Mm because it kept happening. I was crying. Like all they could really see was that I was crying and I was trying to tell them, don't, don't, you know, I couldn't communicate it effectively, but that's what I was inside telling them not to do. Of course they had to, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's right. what they had to do to treat right. me, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel more like you were in heaven and then you got pulled out into kind of like the black void, which is kind of yes. like when people first pop out of their body, kind of like a consciousness separated from their body, but not really going anywhere. And then right. I don't feel like you went to hell or, or demons. No. I just felt like all of a sudden you started going into these hallucination things. Right. And I don't feel like I was actually there either mm. because, um, in heaven, I could feel everything. Mm. Like I could feel, I don't know. I could just feel everything. I could feel, I could smell, I could hear. I, and, and there it was, all my senses were kind of dulled down. Mm -hmm. Couldn't smell really. Um, and I knew 
the things there couldn't hurt me. So I felt like if I was, you know, actually there, I would have had a different experience than I had in heaven. You know, that was, it was definitely, um, there was definitely a difference of feeling one was definitely more, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the other place was kind of more surreal and then heaven was definitely more, things were more tangible there. I'll just like that way. If you could give advice to anybody who had lost somebody, how would you tell them that their loved ones are okay on the other side? I would just say that I know, first of all, that I didn't, I didn't feel my own suffering. Um, it was a very fast transition and that where I was, there was nothing that I needed. There was nothing that I wanted. I was perfectly content, perfectly at peace. And I know for me, you know, I, I lost my brother three years ago. And to know, I, I think it just helps with accepting that, you know, and I believe I'll see him again. And so I know that um, he's not even waiting on me because, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think we, we see time so, so linear. And I think the afterlife is bigger than that. I think God is bigger than that. And I think it's much more simple, but also much more complicated than we understand. I think we over overcomplicate the simple things and simplify the really, really complicated, big, big stuff. Um, I would just, if it's anything like my experience, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Um, And a very close friend of mine uh, lost her daughter, her five-year-old. And, you know, I know it gives her a lot of peace also. Um, so I think faith plays a big part in that. I mean, I I think you have to, some people will see this and say that never happened, or (laughs) some people say these types of things and saying, well, it was this firing and that, that firing and that's fine. I mean, um, but when you experience it for yourself, there's no doubt in your mind. And I know there's no doubt in my mind that, I was at peace and that the people I love were at peace also. All right. I'm going to switch gears on you and I just want to promote you. You have a YouTube <laughs> channel. What is your YouTube channel called? I do. It's called Bethany Schmidt Aesthetics. And um, if you search my name, Bethany Schmidt on YouTube, you'll find it. I'm a makeup artist. Mm-hmm. That's my day job. So <laughs> That's great. And you are also on Instagram and Facebook, right? That's right. It's also Bethany Schmidt Aesthetics. And also um, for anything related to this stuff, my direct messages are always open and I always welcome anybody to message me if they have any questions. Oh, great. Is there anything else that you're working on that you would like us to you know, share with everybody? Um, not at the moment. Hopefully we'll be um, making some new music soon. And if you follow me on my social medias, you'll be notified of when that happens. Do you ever put musical performances on your social media? I used to. Um, I haven't. We um, we were the worship pastors at a church, and we had um, 
we had a live stream every Sunday. So, um, but, uh, we're moving on to something a little different now. So, um, that's definitely something my husband and I are going to start doing though, is putting up some music. All right, Bethany. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? From my experience, there, there is a God and we're all his children. And I feel like sometimes we feel like we're waiting on God when in reality he's waiting on us. Um, he's always, always closer than you think he is. And I think people make a relationship with God really, really complicated. And in reality, it's, you know, the Bible says Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I had a little brother who stuck (laughs) close to me, uh, growing up and, uh, he's your friend. And I feel like, again, sometimes we see him as so far away. Um, but really he's a conversation away. And I, I just want people to know that because I think everything else follows. Everything starts with a conversation. And so I think if we just start a conversation then the relationship can grow and, um, I've just, I love talking to people about this um, because, again, I think we complicate things. And I think it's a lot simpler than than we make it out to be. Well, Bethany, thank you for that message. And thank you so much again for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. You too. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.